Today we, today we wrap up our series through the life of Joseph. Last week we were in chapter 47, and, and this week we'll be skipping a few chapters and heading to Genesis 50. This is the last chapter in the book. In the chapters we skipped, we would have been or seen the blessings that, that Jacob gave to Joseph's sons Ephraim and Manasseh, as well as the blessings that he gave to the rest of his own sons. And then, in the end of chapter 49, Jacob the father passes away. And so this week we'll be picking up with what happens right after the death of Jacob. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be picking up with chapter 50. We'll be in verses 15 and reading through verse 26. So Genesis 50, 15 to 26, we read the word of the Lord. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. A friend of mine was telling me about a conversation he had with his father who was dying of cancer. My friend asked his father how he was doing and his father responded, I'm fine. I'm fine. Now there's a lot of ambiguity behind the word fine. It means that things aren't going as good as they could be, but they aren't going as bad as they could be either. They aren't good, they aren't bad. They're on a sliding scale of somewhere in the middle of those two. And, and we sometimes just have to rely on the tone of voice to figure out where or which side of the pendulum it's closer to. Before my friend could ask for clarification, his father offered up, living with cancer is like fighting an undertow. Those of us who live near the ocean understand what that is, right? When we take our kids to the shore, my biggest fear is the undertow. Waves coming in and crashing over our bodies is pretty fun. Like, that, that's a good time, going and, and playing in the waves. But, but when the wave goes back out, there's, there's a pull that comes with it. 
the waves are trying to bring us back out to sea with them. It's, it's not always incredibly strong, but man, is it persistent. I remember visiting the shore with my family when I was younger. There was a sandbar a, a decent ways out in the water, and my uncles and some of my cousins were out playing on it. I, I wanted to go play with them. So I braved the cold, and the water reached up to about, you know, like the middle of my chest, and, and then it shallowed out as I approached the bar. We, we had boogie boards, and the waves would get higher right before the sandbar, and, and so they, they'd crash nicely, and, and we could ride them into shore, only to run back out and, and do it again, right? But sometimes we'd, we'd miss the wave, or we'd get knocked off the board, and then you're chasing it. There was a lot of back and forth between the shore and the sandbar, and the whole time you were in the water, you were fighting the undertow. It was pretty scary the first time I felt the water trying to pull me out into the ocean, but, but then I grew accustomed to it. It, it wasn't so bad. I, I got familiar with the weight around my legs. My muscles grew used to the strain of keeping me where I was supposed to be. But as the day went on, I grew more and more tired. I was getting close to the time where we were supposed to be leaving the beach. I was going to ride one more wave. But the wave caught the board funny, and it got away from me. My cousins on shore grabbed it, and I was left to walk the distance between the sandbar and the land. My legs were exhausted from fighting the undertow all day, and I remember a couple times as I made my way back to safety, wondering if I would have the strength to make it. My legs felt weak. My knees wobbled. There would be the relief of, of when the wave came from behind me, but it was always followed by the straining against the undertow as I tried to make my way forward to safety. To my friend's father, living with cancer was living life with an undertow. He would have his good times, like when the wave comes from behind you and there's a brief respite, brief respite from the struggle. But those times were inevitably followed by the constant burden, the constant struggle against the sickness that, would that he would eventually die from. Now, I don't have cancer, but there are areas of my life where it feels like I am fighting the undertow. I have struggles, I have temptations that pull at me constantly. We, we all do. We all have things that we want to do that we know we shouldn't. We all have sin that our flesh desires to fall into that we have to constantly be resisting. And how are you doing with that? How are you doing with fighting to do the right when so much of you longs to do the wrong? The burden of sin is oppressive. The struggle is real and overwhelming. And so often the undertow of sin wins the day. We struggle and we strain against it, but our strength is not limitless. We fall, we give in, we sin, we lose ground. We are pulled backwards, pulled into what we have been resisting. As I pondered this reality this past week, I was reminded of the questions that one of my sons asked me. He had just gotten trouble for, for wronging his brother. I sat him down, and, and during our conversation, he turned tear-filled eyes to look into mine. Why do I always choose the wrong thing, he asked me. Why do I sin so much? I knew that he hadn't woken up that morning and been excited for how he was going to wrong his brother. Just like I know that I don't wake up in the morning excited for the moral failings that I will commit throughout the day. This isn't, it's not something that we plan. This isn't something that we want to have happen and yet we fall into it anyway. 
And there are times when we begin to wonder in some deep-seated part of ourselves when God is going to get fed up with our mistakes. I know as a father that my son didn't get up that morning looking forward, forward to hurting his brother, but as a father, I get really frustrated when he keeps doing it. And so it's not a hard connection to make that at some point in time God is going to get fed up, that there is a line that will be, that will be crossed at that point, and at that point I'm on my own. At that point, forgiveness will run out. And, and in that way, I can relate to the brothers in the text this morning. We've been in the story of Joseph for a few months now. And throughout the story, we've seen the brothers struggling with the sin that they've committed against Joseph. They seem to be living life in a constant state of waiting for the axe to fall. He's treating us well now, they think. But his goodwill towards us is going to run out at some point. Nobody can truly forgive what we have done. And maybe you can relate to that as well. Maybe you can relate to thinking that the things that you have done are more than can truly be forgiven. Maybe it's one big thing that you did, one big sin that still causes you guilt and shame, one big sin that you consider truly unforgivable. Or maybe it's a collection of failures, a series of continued defeats in a moral battle. The undertow was just too strong. You just couldn't keep up the fight. The temptations overwhelmed you and you succumbed not just once, but many, many times. And we think, how could God continue to forgive this? At what point is he going to get fed up and give me the punishment I deserve, the punishment that I must have coming to me? That's where the brothers are yet again in our text this morning. Joseph had assured them over and over again that he had forgiven them, but they couldn't forgive themselves, and so they were certain that the retribution was coming. And they thought they knew when it would happen. They convinced themselves that Joseph was just putting up a good front for dear old dad. But when Jacob died, Joseph would come and his vengeance come for the justice that they knew that they deserved, that he deserved. And so the time finally arrives when Jacob's life comes to an end. He lived the happiest years of his 147-year life in Egypt, surrounded by his family, by this budding nation, and then he finally took his last breath. And the last sho- as, as the last shovel of dirt had barely settled over his grave when the brothers started stressing about what Joseph would do to them now. The safety net was gone. Joseph's love and respect for their father was no longer a barrier or a protection for them. And now they were at the mercy of the brother they had wronged, and so they throw themselves at his feet. Listen to their words. Your father left these instructions before we died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. It's the same situation that we saw earlier in the story. The brothers are certain that Joseph is going to bring the hammer. That he could not have actually forgiven them for their actions against him all those years ago. For the sake of dad, spare us, they plead. And how does Joseph respond? Don't be afraid. You intended harm, or to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. 
I will provide for you and your children. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how the brothers, how Judah and Simeon and Reuben and the others reacted to this response from Joseph. It does tell us that Joseph spoke kindly to them and and reassured them. We don't know if the message finally hit home for them or if they continued to struggle with the doubt and the fears, if they continued to be haunted by the mistakes of their past. I have no idea how many more times Joseph needed to reassure the brothers that they had been forgiven, that they were forgiven. What I do know is how much of a comfort Joseph's words are for me and that I pray they are for you. For once again, Joseph is the Christ figure in the story. And as we talked about weeks ago, just as the brothers approached the one whom they have wronged, the one who has the right to demand justice and the power to take it, when they stood before Joseph, so we approach the one whom we have wronged, the one who has the right to demand justice and the power to take it, when we stand before Christ. For it was Christ, the picture of perfection, who came down to live amongst the broken. He came to live among us, but he didn't just live among us, he taught us. And then ultimately he he died for us, for it was Jesus, the perfect one, the one who never did anything wrong, that took all of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He who had never done any sin and had never known sin, had never failed a single time. He was tempted. He fought the undertow, and he never once gave in. And so the one who knew no sin, the perfect one, became sin for us. He took all of our sin upon himself on the cross, all the things that separate us from God, that that huge sin that you can't believe anyone could possibly forgive, Christ took it. That sin that you fall into repeatedly, that that you are trying to stop, but you just keep slipping and, and you are wondering if God will finally run out of patience for your failures? Christ took that sin too. Every one of them, Christ died one time for all time to pay for all sin. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And so when we believe in him, when we rest in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, we are reconciled to God. For Christ has taken the dirty rags of our sin, and we have been dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Because of Christ, you are forgiven. Because of Christ, you can have a relationship with the living God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the hope for all mankind. You cannot have sinned so extravagantly or excessively that you will be denied forgiveness at the cross. There is forgiveness for all who believe. As tears rolled down the cheek of my child as he expressed his frustration at his continuing sinfulness, I brought him into my arms and held him close. And as he clung to me, I had the privilege of reminding him of Christ's death on the cross that paid for all of his sin. I led him through confessing his sin to God and told him that God forgave him. And then after a time when he was ready, I sent him off to seek the forgiveness of his brother. When we approach God's throne of grace asking for forgiveness, he responds in the same way that Joseph responded to the brothers. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So Christian, rest in those words. Don't be afraid. God's plan is bigger than your sin. He has redeemed you. And through Christ, He has provided for the saving of many souls. Don't be afraid. 
And as you continue your daily battle against sin, as you continue to struggle against the undertow, know that you do not battle alone. As I pushed against the pull of the water that day at the beach all those years ago, I started to stumble. And I felt myself begin to fall. I I couldn't keep it up much longer. My muscles were too tired. I I didn't have anything left. I remember wondering if I was going to have the strength to swim or if I'd be able to catch myself at the sandbar or if I'd be sucked out to sea. And then as I was falling, two strong hands caught me from behind and picked me up and helped me walk back to the shore. One of my uncles saw my struggle and he came alongside and helped me in my fight against the undertow. Now there are quite a few places we could take the ending of that story. Quite a few ways we could land the plane of the sermon this morning. I don't want to get into the weeds, so I'll put it like this. When you see your brother or sister struggling against the undertoes in their life, come alongside them. Help them out. Instead of sitting back and condemning their temptations, put your arms around them and help them in their resistance. And beyond all of that, know that your strength alone is not enough to fight the undertoes, the temptations, and the sin in your life. And so we rely on the one who has fought them all and claimed the victory. Rest in the strength of the one who will never leave you or abandon you. When temptation rears its ugly head, when the pull of the sin in your life is beyond your ability to fight, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to the one who has never left you, who is always with you, and rest in his strength for the journey. Joseph's story is a fantastic one. In the life of Joseph and his brothers, we see a picture of how God is at work in the life of his people. We see sin and forgiveness. We see grace and mercy. We see God providing for the undeserving. We see a God who can take the bad and use it for his purposes of redemption and protection and provision. As we have gone through this story, I hope that it has been clear that through through the story, that though the story is about a family thousands, year, thousands of years ago, it applies to us today as well. The same God that used the hard things in the life of Joseph will use the hard things in your life. The same forgiveness that was poured out over the unworthy brothers has been poured out over you. The same God who prospered Joseph and his family in the land of their suffering will prosper you as you go through suffering. The times and the people have changed, but the God who is behind it all and in it all has not. What a fantastic, loving, gracious, powerful, and mighty God we serve. Amen.